I'm going to read our scripture for us. Like I said earlier, it's from Mark. Um, and as I read this, um, I invite you kind of a la 2020. We had our reimagine series. Um, let your imagination play with this. Um, there's a lot of really amazing imagery and this narrative is really strong. So um, I invite you to, as, I, as you hear it, let it be fresh. So Mark 1, 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, my name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here at Providencia. If you could bring that text back up, um, Drew, I think you're on the slides up there. Okay, um, I just wanted to point out something real quickly here before we uh, keep going in the text. But uh, right there in verse 1, when it says, they went to Capernaum, uh, you might remember Sarah Claire talking about in the confession that the gospel of Mark is a very fast-paced gospel. And uh, you don't see it here in the NIV, but in the Greek, what it says right there in verse 21 is immediately they went into Capernaum. And then when you go down uh, to verse 23, it says just then, that right there in the Greek, it would have said immediately a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. And then go to the next one. And then the last verse, 28, news about him spread quickly over the whole region. Immediately the news went out about him throughout the whole region. Uh, so I just wanted you to see this word immediately gets hidden sometimes or the, the fast paced uh, you know, style of Mark's writing. You can't really see it as much sometimes in the English, but it is there in the Greek. Uh, we are in our Embody series and um, tonight... We are talking about embody, embodying liberating authority, embodying a liberating authority. And, and last week I mentioned that during Advent, Advent season is all about wait, wait, wait. And then once Christmas happens, it's go, go, go. And there's this urgency to it. There's this fast paceness to it. And nobody captures this more uh, than the gospel of Mark. Mark is all about it. And, and last week I asked you all, all right, the question, which is where are we going, Mark, in such a hurry? Where is it that you are trying to take us? And if we can go back to the, to the song that we sang right before this, Drew, the, the holy, uh, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up. That's that, that uh, slide. Um, yeah, there we go. Where is Mark taking us? Holy, 
There is no one like you. There is none besides you. Open up my eyes and wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Where is Mark taking us? What is happening in the Gospel of Mark? Holy, there is no one like you. In our text tonight, Mark is un, like unpacking that like, whoo, like super fast for us. In, um, <coughs> right when I finished with uh, seminary in 2006, we moved to Miami to a small little island called Key Biscayne, similar to uh, Palm Beach in some ways, but uh, most of our neighbors were either from South America or Europe. And uh, we loved it. In fact, if you know Drew Dockerell, Drew Dockerell lived in the same condo that we did there in Key Biscayne, but we never met each other until this church, which is uh, pretty funny. But we lived there for five years on the island. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people. There, there are people there who are politicians, uh, people there who are successful business people, people who are actresses and actors, and also uh, professional athletes. And uh, so I was in a men's group, and, and there was a man who was a professional athlete in my men's group. There was also a man in my men's group who raced cars as a hobby. Uh, he would go out to the Homestead race course down there in Miami, and he would race cars sometimes every once in a while. And he was in our, our men's group. And sometimes he would talk about, you know, racing and, and some of the stuff with racing. But, you know, people really weren't that interested. I mean, they, they would be a little bit interested because Homestead is in Miami or because some people had some, uh, you know, familiarity with racing. But the racing that this guy did was like with his own car. And it was, you know, like a sports car, but it wasn't a racing car like the ones you see in Formula One. Well, there was another man in our men's group. He wasn't there all the time, uh, but he would come, you know, once a month. And when he would come into the room, uh, it didn't matter what I was doing. I could be praying. I could be teaching about something. I could have been crying. The people in that room would stand up and as he walked into the room and go over and shake his hand and welcome him into the room. Uh, his name was Emerson Fittipaldi. And Emerson is still alive. He still has a house in Key Biscayne. He also has houses in Brazil. And a um, very sweet, kind man. But Emerson grew up in Brazil karting when he was a kid. He drove the little race car carts. And he climbed the ladder in Formula One race car driving. And he would go on to win Indy, Indy 500, twice in his lifetime. Uh, he uh, came to our church Again, a very kind man. When this guy walked into the room, people would stand up and go shake his hand. If this guy shared something during Bible study, during our men's group, people would sit back and listen. Like, what is this guy saying? And when he talked about racing, people leaned in and like, it was like they were taking notes. Right? Because this guy had authority about racing. Why did he have so much authority about it? Because he lived it. He embodied it. Emerson Fittipaldi was a race car driver through and through. 
I encourage you to look him up, read about him. Fascinating story. He ended up crashing once in a, in a Formula One race car uh, race, and a chaplain came to visit him in the hospital and, and asked him if he knew Jesus, and he said, I don't have time for that. And about five years later, he was flying a plane over his banana crops in Brazil, crashed it again, ended up in a body cast again. When the chaplain came in, he said, I think it's time. I think it's time to, to, to speak to God about my life. A uh, very, very kind, sweet man. When he spoke, he had authority when it came to racing. And when we come to this text tonight, starting in verses 21 and 22, our first point tonight is authority to lead us into rest. If anybody knew, if anybody was an expert, if anybody embodied rest, what real rest was all about, it was the man that Mark is introducing to us right here in this text. It says right there in verse 21, they go into Capernaum. Again, in the Greek there, it's immediately they go into Capernaum. On what day? On the Sabbath day, the day of rest. That's the day they go in. And where are they going in Capernaum? They are going to the synagogue. They're going to the place where God's people were called together on the Sabbath to be together to worship. To hear teaching from the scripture. And it's in this place that Jesus gets to work. It's in this place that Jesus starts teaching. And it says the people are astonished that he takes their breath away. They are amazed. And when you get into the Greek there, that word, it, it actually means to, to strike out of one's senses, being utterly amazed, dumbfounded, left at a loss for witnessing the incredible. As if something were being driven from them. We're going to talk about this, this other guy who's coming, going to come into the synagogue immediately. But I want you to see that something is happening as these people are being astonished that they actually are losing something. What are they losing? Maybe some of their hopelessness. Maybe some of their cynicism. Maybe something about their desire to be in control. They're beginning to lose that. Because this man who is embodying rest is speaking in such a way. It says that he is speaking with authority. That this man spoke with authority, not as the scribes. Now you've got to do a little digging here to understand what that means. When he says that, they, that Jesus is teaching not as the scribes. When the scribes or the teachers of the law would speak, they would say, as Moses said, or as the prophets said, and they would be quoting when Jesus speaks, when Jesus gets up to speak in the synagogue, he speaks as if they're his own words. He doesn't quote anybody. He speaks as if it's his own breath. As if it's him speaking these things. My words. And the people in that room notice something is up. This man has power. This man has authority. And he wasn't asking the powerful religious class there for permission to speak. He was just speaking. He has something in him. This was his land. These were his people. 
And he's speaking to the deepest places in their core. He's speaking through all the noise, all the hustle and bustle to their core, and something in their core recognizes his voice. They recognize the authority and the power, and the question becomes, how will Jesus use it? How will he use this authority that he has? If you remember, uh, Jesus later in the Gospels will be critiqued for healing on the Sabbath. I don't know if you know that story or not, but Jesus will be critiqued by the religious people, the Pharisees, for healing on the Sabbath. What will Jesus use his authority and power for? Snap back to Emerson for a second. People who have power and authority when they walk into the room, there are some people that when they do that, they want you to kiss the ring. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at everything that I've amassed for myself in my life. I did it. I figured out how to be successful. Kiss the ring. But there are some people who have power. And when they walk into the room, they want to give it away. They want to teach you how to be the next race car driver. They want to teach you how to live life in such a way that you too can rise. The difference, the difference in those two. Jesus comes into the room, not asking for the ring to be kissed, but he's going to teach these people with authority about rest, about healing about liberation. Uh, college, for me, was an exhausting time. It was not a time of rest. College, for me, was deadlines. College, for me, was reading more than I ever wanted to read in my life. Uh, it was constantly a test, constantly a quiz, constantly something, a burden, something I would have forgotten, and I just felt like I had no margins in my life. And it was so stressful. I was not a fan. And I had a counselor because I was getting so depressed from being so isolated. I was trying to study so much that I really uh, was dealing with loneliness in that. And I had a counselor and I went to her multiple times. And one time I went into her office and she looked at me and she said, Keith, you look like you have a monkey on your back. And what she meant is you look like you are weighed down. And this counselor took just a moment. She said, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And she prayed for me. And I'm telling you, by the time she finished that prayer, I felt 10,000 times lighter. Like the monkey got off my back. And Sarah Claire mentioned in confession, sometimes healing takes a long time. It does. And we emphasize that here in our church. But there are also times when healing can happen in the most powerful, profound ways. It's astonishing. And we just don't get it. And I'll tell you that I have prayed for people like that woman prayed for me. And I don't necessarily understand all how it works. 
But they have told me similar things like, man, I feel like I was set free. And that woman set me free. I'm telling you, we may have had different views on a number of things. She never asked. She just asked if she could pray for me. And in that moment, I experienced real healing, powerful healing, profound healing. She was a part of setting me free. In verse 23 to 26, the authority to liberate us. What is Jesus going to use this authority, this power for? To liberate us. In verse 23 again, it says, Immediately as Jesus is getting to work on the day of rest in the synagogue, immediately a man comes into the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And Jesus is like, let's get down to business. I'm going into the synagogue on the Sabbath. This guy's coming in immediately. Let's go. Here this thing's going. We're, we're getting to work here. I didn't come here to pontificate or to impress you. And in the synagogue there, people are there to worship. And this guy, I'm assuming at that time, could have been seen as an interruption in the middle of Jesus' teaching. But he's not an interruption to Jesus. He's not an interruption to Jesus. In fact, what's, what's wild about this guy is when this guy comes in, he identifies Jesus, he testifies to who Jesus is, more so than the people of God who are already there. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, Holy One of God. He's the first one to say that. The man with the unclean spirit. He's the one who recognizes who Jesus is. And he asks this profound question. Profound question. Did you come to destroy us? The man asked this profound question to Jesus. Did you come to destroy us? Now, this man, according to the text, according to Mark, is, is possessed. He has an unclean spirit on him. And, and his question to Jesus is, did you come here to destroy us? Not to destroy me, to destroy us. Instead of destruction, Jesus uses his authority to do what? For liberation. Jesus uses his authority to set this man free. No, I didn't come here to destroy you. I came here to set you free. When I, uh, before I knew who Jesus was, when I was living my life and I was doing things that I knew were wrong on a continual basis and I felt like I was living in darkness, literally, I thought that Jesus wanted, or if there was a God, that he wanted to destroy me. And Jesus 
shows us right here in this text that that is not his intention. That he came to set us free. And again, the crowd is astonished. They are at a loss. Now, there's a question in the text that isn't asked. But the question is, why would a man with an unclean spirit go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Why? Why would they go there? I will say this, that even for people who are running from God as hard as they can, at their core, there is something saying, maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's somebody who can give me real freedom. And this man found it that day. What Mark is pointing us to here is something a little bigger just than prayer, like I talked about at the beginning. He wants us to see something a little bit bigger than the power of prayer. He wants us to see the power of Jesus. The power that is in Jesus. And the uniqueness of how Jesus uses it here in the text. He uses it to silence evil. He uses it to drive evil and oppression out. And he does it to set us free. See, the religious didn't heal on Sabbath because they said it was work. But this is what the Sabbath is all about. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. And Jesus isn't really working because this is who Jesus is. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you are set free because he is freedom. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you are healed because he is healing. It's who he is. It is embodied in him. In him we are set free. Now in our culture today, there are lots of ideas around freedom. Uh, people wanting to fight for their freedom. Well, there's something we see different in the life of Jesus. Something holy, something that sets him apart. Jesus stands as one who is willing to die for our freedom. Even for those we consider his enemies. In verse 27 to 28, liberated to live it, to embody it, setting people free. Everyone is staying, in verse 27, around. They're standing around and they are astonished. Now at a whole new level, and this, Jesus uses power, not like the Romans, to tax us more. Not like the empire, to oppress with the threat of destruction or the threat of the cross. He doesn't use his power like the teachers of the law, who quote Moses and the prophets, to oppress and to scare people into religiosity. No, this Jesus uses his astonishing power and authority to set us free. And the people say, this is a new teaching. 
This is a new teaching. Paul will say it later in Galatians. He'll say it like this. It is for freedom's sake that Christ died to set us free. It is for freedom's sake that Christ died to set us free. How free? How free can Jesus set us? Completely free. And they say this is a new authority. This guy is tapped into the power source. Maybe he is the power source. But he is different, not like the rulers of the empire, not like the religious people. And in verse 28, immediately word got out. Everywhere around the region, around the city, it couldn't be contained. Have you encountered the Jesus that uses his power and authority to set people free? Have you encountered the Jesus who uses his power and authority to set people free? Have you seen it take place in a community? Jesus is living it out, setting people free from the oppression of the empire, from the religious, but also from their own lies about what we believe about ourselves. To set us free from the false selves that we present to the world, to come out of hiding, to be seen and be known. Like the song Homesick that Paradise Hymns wrote. That Jesus sets us free from hiding that we can come out of it and be seen and be known and be loved into liberation. And if this is the Jesus you have experienced, you stand in the face of a culture at some extent, at least parts of it, that, got, that might give you pause to say his name, especially today. But I want to tell you it's a beautiful name. And it's a beautiful liberation. If you know it to be true, you don't have to hide that either. You don't have to be silenced. You can live it. You can breathe it. You can speak it. You can embody it. Because it is a liberating authority that Jesus has given us in him. Let us pray.